0: The Gospel comes into our midst as did Christ himself, written in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title on the coin? They answered, Well, the emperors. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God, the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. They left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. In the words of the epistle to the Thessalonians, dear Church of St. Paul, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Amen. And what a blessing I feel to be here with you, honored to bring the proclamation and just delighted to be with all of you, many of whom I know, some who I do not. Besides my gratitude for this opportunity, I'm also very grateful to your leadership who's done the sessions on civic life and faith. It's a really important contribution for those who are here, but also in the feedback that we receive from across the church on the study regarding civic life and faith. It helps our task force, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. A pastor that I know tells the humorous story about a confirmand who came to the dinner table and said, quite seriously, Mom, Dad, we are talking about the U.S. government at school, and I think I'm going to take you to court for denying me my rights. What are you talking about, said the mother flabbergasted. Well, he said, I have to go to confirmation, and that means I do not have freedom of religion. <laughs> now, I probably shouldn't be telling this story because now the confirmation class, St. Paul, are gonna try the same line on their parents and Pastor Zach. Um, <clears throat> But in a way, he has a point. He didn't choose to be baptized. His parents were Lutheran, so he was in a Lutheran church. But here's the point. The whole thing was kind of confusing to him because he realized that he lived under two jurisdictions, if you will, his parents and the US government. And it is puzzling. What is? the right relationship between our life in faith and our civic life, in particular in relation to government and political authority. I know that we have all had times in our lives when we felt that puzzle, that conflict perhaps of values. It's not easy, it's tricky. But the problem is not new. The Jewish people of Jesus' day also had a double citizenship. They were under the thumb of the Roman Empire, which meant they were supposed to worship the emperor as a god, and yet they had loyalties to their god, who insisted that he was the only king, and that prevented them from worshiping the emperor. So on the one hand, they owed allegiance to the emperor and on the other, allegiance to God. That meant for them a real test. For paying taxes to Rome was considered a blasphemous act. Paying The tax meant that the person recognized the Roman emperor as a king and as a god. But on the other side, the situation was that the Jews were in fact under the Roman rule. They were dominated. And like it or not, Caesar was their worldly ruler. Like it or not, Caesar's likeness was on that coin. Like it or not, it bore the emperor's image, it belonged to the emperor. So you see the Jews were also under this sense of two citizenships and both were in conflict. It was puzzling. Now Jesus' enemies tried to use this very real conflict to get Jesus they challenged him to give an answer that they thought might be his demise. If Jesus said, don't pay the tax, the Romans would lock him up for treason. And if he said, do pay the tax, the Jews could declare blasphemy and discredit him as denying God. Now, as we know, Jesus said neither, And yet strangely, he said both. He said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. And the scriptures say that those who heard his answer were amazed because, and it is amazing, because Jesus is really kind of saying we do have a double citizenship. Jesus is clear, there's an atten- a tension there, but it is possible, it's real. Now in fact, we state this tension every time that we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, give us today our daily bread." And what does daily bread signify? Martin Luther writes in the Catechism that daily bread means everything included in the necessities and nourishment for our lives, such as, and I quote, food, drink, upright and faithful rulers, good government, good friends, Daily bread includes rulers and good government. They are part of God's work. Now, we we often tend to think that God's work happens only in the church or in activities through the church, but that is not how we as Lutherans understand what the scriptures say. The passage from Isaiah today is in fact a stunning example of that. The Bible points to Cyrus the Great, roughly 2,800 years ago, as one of God's channels of work to steer historical events. Now, if your ancient history is a little rusty, I will remind you that Cyrus founded the incredible Persian Empire that lasted for hundreds of years and spread from the Mediterranean nearly to India, from the Balkans to Africa. So it's talking about a big deal. But it's really hard to kind of get a hold of the meaning of such a story from 2,800 years ago so let me explain it to you with contemporary figures. Okay? Imagine that there was no United States that each state was like its own country. State there was the country of Illinois, of Indiana, of Ohio. And the governor of Ohio has the biggest military. And <clears throat> so He sends his military to rampage through northern Indiana, conquering all of it, and then Chicago, and part of uh, Wisconsin. And to eliminate any further resistance, he says, take all of the politicians and ship them to Ohio. Now maybe we think, oh, that's a good idea. But he also says, take all the business leaders and the religious leaders. So bye-bye to Pastor Zach and Vicar Katie. You're off to Columbus, Ohio, to the Columbus Captivity, and you have to root for the Ohio State football team. (laughs) Now I'm having some fun telling this story But you can imagine how generally traumatic and shattering something like this would be. And that is what happened to the Jewish people under the Babylonians. It's called the Babylonian captivity. Okay, so now, some 50 years later, a governor from, let's say, Pennsylvania, rises up and in turn conquers New York, Ohio, Kentucky, and a whole lot of other states. Let's say the governor's name is Cyrus, and he issues an edict that now all the Illinoisans and their children and grandchildren living in captivity in Columbus should go back to Chicago. So the scriptures are pointing, to, uh, to pointing out the significance of this. It's as if Pastor Zach came back now as an old guy, and he, and he says, he tells everybody, you know, that Cyrus of Pennsylvania, who we all know is not even religious, was anointed by God to do this thing that he was appointed by God to free the Columbus captives. God is behind all of that. This is God's work. Wow. We Lutherans actually believe the Bible teaches that God does stuff like that. Here's a good example with Cyrus, but there's others. The point is that God uses power, God gives us power and wants us to use it for the well-being of society. Just like God uses power for the well-being of creation, creating it, empowering it, we are to use the powers we have given of wisdom, knowledge, technology to lift up the neighbor through the social order in civic life. The Lu- we Lutherans understand that God gives freely, and therefore God's purpose in giving that power is to create well-being for all. God's power produces human activity But there's a catch. We are to use that to serve our neighbor. And Jesus is on to the same idea. Give to the emperor, he says, the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are God's. (laughs) Now here's Jesus' trick on his enemies. What isn't God's? What isn't God's? What doesn't belong to God since God created it all, including the power of government? And this sets us up with these two allegiances. We live as citizens in two overlapping arenas, God's gospel and the arena of government. And we as Lutherans talk about God at work through these two different ways as governing strategies, or to use an analogy, God has a left hand of work through government and a right hand of work through the good news of Jesus. Government is God's work to protect from invasions, provide public services, to provide schools, and we should endeavor to see that that work is done well, that our taxes are spent justly. Especially since we are the sovereign, we the people are sovereign in this country. It is our responsibility to make sure that society operates for the well-being of all. God also has a right-hand strategy through Jesus, the living word, who came into our world to teach us God's ways, to save us from sin, and to bring us to everlasting kingdom. Because of that, and much, much more, we are obliged to God. And God says, my work is to send you into the world. What happens in the world through God's left hand is just as much God's work and just as much our callings, even if it's different than God's work through the right hand and God's call to be gathered into liturgy, to be centered in the gospel. So yes, we live in very different overlapping arenas, but they all belong to God. And we know, we feel it, how that left-hand work is really messy. We are rightly troubled and most of us are weary of this political climate, but as Christians, God calls us to join in God's work towards the well-being that God brings through the left hand. The study that has been looked at is there because the ELCA, our national church, said we need to think about civic participation and the right relationship between people, institutions of faith, and political authority. In that study, a very clear message is that faithful disciples of Jesus believe that God is at work though hidden and often mysterious to us through government through good government and that Christians are called to, ha- to engage in energetic civic participation as one of the responses to God's love that we know. It's this biblical insistence that God calls God's people to be active citizens with the purpose to ensure that everyone benefits from the good of government not necessarily comfortable. But we as God's forgiven ones have been called to this double citizenship. These choices that we have to make can be difficult, but we are also promised that the Holy Spirit is at work in this world to empower us, to keep us going. We can find hope in the knowledge that God wants us to live both in this world and in the kingdom of God that lasts forever. God will not abandon us in our decision making as we give a limited allegiance to holding government accountable. God will empower our ultimate allegiance to the one who works salvation through the gospel in our lives, and is also at work for good government through us, good citizens. And may the peace of Christ that passes all understanding bless you and keep you in this work, amen.